0: Called um, Essentials. And this is a series that's gonna go on for a little while because we have a few essentials. <laughs> There's not a ton, but there are a few, and we wanna make sure that we get some of these essentials into you. And, uh, and I wanna start today, we're gonna be talking, I'm gonna be picking a couple of things that talk, that talk through. We're gonna have some of our leaders come up in subsequent weeks to talk through some of the other essentials that we have. Um, so definitely don't miss this. But I wanna start with a story. It's a story of three bulls um, on a ranch as the farmers bring in a new bull. And so they heard the story that this bull is a prize bull. He's one of the biggest bulls that anybody's ever seen. He's just, he's incredible in every way, but they're a little bit insecure. And so there's three bulls there. There's a really big one, a middle-sized one, and a little, you know, skinny little rascal. And so the big bull is, they're standing there as the, as the uh, farmer's backing up, the, the rancher's backing up the trailer, and the, and the biggest bull said, you know, I've got 100 cows, and I'm not giving up any of them. I don't care what this bull's like. And the middle, guy, middle bull said, well, you know, I've got 50 cows, and I'm definitely not giving up 50. And the little guy's like, man, all I got is 10 cows, and I'm definitely not giving up any of my cows, right? And so the bull, they open the trailer, and the bull begins to walk out, and he's bigger than anybody thought. And every time he takes a step, the whole trailer shakes, and he's just terrifying looking. He's massive. He's three times the size of even the big bull. And the biggest bull standing there said, you know, 100 cows is a lot of cows. I could let go of a few cows, right? And the middle cow says, you know, I, I got 50 cows, but I don't really need 50 cows. I could let go of a few cows. And the one with 10, the little scrawny guy, just starts pawing at the ground, getting aggressive and snorting and starting to get ready to charge this other bull. And the other two bulls said, are you crazy, man? You need to let go of some of your bulls for this other bull. If you try something like this, he's going to kill you. Sorry, cows. Yeah, let's keep that story straight. <laughs> and so he says, if you don't give up some of your cows, he's going to kill you. And the little bull says he can have every one of my cows. I just want to make sure he knows I'm a bull. <laughs> I'll give you a minute. I know it takes a little while. So what's the importance of starting a story about that? And that's this. It goes to show how important it is to define roles appropriately, right? You, certain things you do not want to get wrong because if you do, there's going to be some challenges as we move forward. And so I, I, I want to talk this morning about governance. So before you just go to sleep, you know, almost every time I, I preach this, people, I look at people and they're like, oh, dear God, who wants to know about government? We, num- number one, we've had enough of government where we are right now in the world, right? It's like we're electing a, new, uh, a president and so uh, it's, it's a lot of challenge. And I get that. So I want to try to make it as helpful as I can And understanding that governance and leadership in the church are not exactly the same, but there are a lot of similarities. And so I'm going to talk about governance and why governance is so important, not just for the church, but why governance is so important for your family, for even for a, a, a community like our city, like Dothan, why it's so important for, uh, for governing in biz- business in a biblical and a godly way. And again, how you lead your family is going to matter. And these things are going to, are going to point to a lot of this because God is all about giving authority with responsibility and too often what we see is we've seen leaders who have authority but aren't taking responsibility and those people are tyrants and we know some of us have been under that some of us have been that right and then you have the other one where people who are given responsibility but no authority and so they're constantly frustrated and you can never get anything done and so we recognize this is two extremes but I have kind of an interesting story Um, most of you guys know somewhat about my history if you've been around DCF for a while But I I wanted to be an architect. I grew up, my dad was a landscaper and I would go out on these big jobs. We worked for the largest landscape company at the time in the southeast. And so we did landscaping jobs in Birmingham. We did landscaping jobs in Florida, all over the southeast. We would literally pack up crews and send them out for months at a time to do a big mall or something like that. So we would have these landscape architects who would come out on the job. Now remember, I'm 16, 17 years old, working the summers, um, you know, when I'm not in school. And so I'm going out there and I'm digging these holes and and it's hot. Man, it's so hot. And I'm sweating and it's like, you know, it's dirty work, and so you're just so tired by the end of the day. And I'm the grunt guy, so, you know, I'm doing all the heavy, heavy lifting, and all the labor. And so these guys drive up and at, at the time, SUVs were kind of new. Everybody didn't have one. So those, you know you notice it. The guy drives up, and he always gets it. It's the same guy. He's got a beard. He gets out. <laughs> he, he's got on a flannel shirt. He's got on jeans, right? He's, there's not a, a lick of dirt on it. He's got on work boots, but they've never seen dirt. You know what I'm talking about? He walks around to the hood with his little rolled-up pa- piece of paper, throws it on the hood. All the guys come out. You know, All the, the leaders of the crews come out, and uh, I see him point to a couple of things. I see all the, all the leaders nod, and then he gets in the car, and he drives away and makes 10 times as much money as I am. And I'm like, I don't know what that job is, but I think I want to do that, right? <laughs> and so I, I started out thinking about landscape architecture and then realized that I, I actually wanted to do more than that. And so I took drafting classes, realized that you know, school was really expensive, and I came from a real poor background. So I joined the military with the intention of getting an education through the military, you know, them helped help me to pay for it. And so I started that journey, and then at some point, I gave my life to Christ, and uh, I felt a call into the ministry. And I remember my pastor one Sunday saying, you know, when, when, you, when you give your life to the Lord, you have to give it all. You can't, you, know, you can't withhold anything. That's not how it works. He gave it all for you, and that's the way it works. You have to, you have to give your life for him. But the good news is, right, um, everything that he's given is far more than ever, anything you'd ever give. And so he said, so you need to maybe lay down your dream and pick up the dream the Lord has given you. And that just cut me to the heart, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's me. So I did. I laid, my, I laid my heart down there, and I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And I said, "I called into the ministry and began to, to work towards that. Started Bible college, even overseas, we started taking courses. And so went to Bible college. I mean, obviously ended up a pastor. I've served all over the place. And I was in Longview, Texas, serving as an associate pastor. I've literally served in every position in the the local church from youth pastor, singles pastor, kids church leader, all the way through small group, all that. All the way to senior pastor. I've done it all. Planted churches. So, So I'm in the process of this. And every time I'd get in a situation in a church, there would be some leadership issue. And I would just get so frustrated. I was just like... Why does it have to be so hard? Like I just want to buy a, a, you know, just a, a guitar cable and and you know and they're, either I buy it or if I ask the church to buy it for me, you know well, I've got to fill out requisition forms and go through all these hassles. And I'm like, it's just, I'll buy it myself. And I'm like, that's how they do it. That's how they get me to buy my stuff. They just make it so hard, right? <laughs> and so it was just always these challenges and those were the small things. Some of them were how leaders would mistreat people. Um, it was just a really bad situation. And so I remember thinking, this is something's wrong, right? I would see so many people be hurt. Like there would be strong leaders in the church, but they leave a wake of people behind them. You know, they just plow through people, and I'm like, that that can't be right. I remember just it just broke my heart in every way. And and then so I, I thought, you know, if I ever get to be the senior leader, I'll fix that because I'm amazing, right? I'm twenty something years old, ten feet tall, and bulletproof, and Jesus loves me. So I'm you know gifted. I'm anointed. <laughs> I was a little bit arrogant, but that's, I mean, that, I'm ho- I hoping some of that's changed. Anyway, so I, I go into the place where I finally take the se- senior leadership position, and it doesn't change. People are still getting hurt. Things are still not going the way I th- they're supposed to, and I remember thinking, well, you know, maybe it's me. Probably not. <laughs> but maybe, it turns out there's a lot of it. it was me, okay? So I had to grow through the mature stuff, and so I'm like, okay, I've dealt with some of my issues, my insecurities, some of those things. I've, I've grown as a leader. You know, I'm i am I'm doing better still not working. And so I, I couldn't figure out why. And I'm praying, asking the Lord to help me. And in that process, we end up leaving this church. We were part of the staff and the pastor just... I, I'll. Grab coffee with me sometime, I'll tell you the story. But it just went downhill. Karen and I were hurt. It was, you know, a lot of people in the church were hurt. It was just, the pastor was kind of leaning into entertaining wealthy people and ignoring anyone who didn't have money. It was just a real sad situation. Just kind of a, what the Bible talks about, a respecter of people. You know, God is no respecter of people, but the pastor was, if you know what I'm saying. And so it just went south, and and we, we were getting ready to leave, and I, I drove up to a conference um, about... Three or four hours away, and it was a prophetic conference, and I went in and I I just remember, Lord, you got to talk to me because I I can't keep doing this, right? I can't keep walking away. I mean, I don't want to do this, but I've done everything that I could with the pastor, but I can't, I can't abide this lack of integrity. I just can't serve that way, right? And so I'm I'm gonna have to do something different. So, anyway, long story short, I get into this uh, into this conference and I walk in late and they're prophesying, ministering to people, and, these, and they're prophetic. It was a prophetic conference, a bunch of prophetic people, and one of them came up to me, and he said, are you a policeman? I said, no. Why, why would you think I'm a policeman? He said, because I have this sense about you that you arrest things in the Spirit. I'm like, okay. He said, and there's one other thing. He said, for you, it must be biblical. And I was like, Well, I would assume that would be all Christians, right? I was wrong about that, but it turns out that's true about me. Like, if you know anything about me, you want to try to mess with me, try to do something in leadership or in the church or part of what we do, do it in an unbiblical way, and I will come unglued. And the reason why is because it damages the body of Christ. It damages the bride, and Jesus loves his bride. Right, and so that, that captured me. And they'd been talking about right before they'd finished and were ministering to people. Um, one of the prophetic guys was talking about what it meant to be an an apostle, a modern day apostle. And I was like, "You don't, you, there's no modern day apostles. That's crazy, right? I mean, there's evangelists and pastors and teachers, but we don't need prophets and apostles. I don't know where I read that. It wasn't in the Bible, it turns out. But you know, I'd heard that, and so I guess that's what it was. And so he said, Paul was a master builder. He was apostolic. And one of the things he did is he built things. That's what he did, right? And so there are some a lot of other aspects of it. But I go that night, and I'm sitting in my hotel room, and I've got my computer open, I've got my Bible program, and I go to that passage, and I look it up. I'm going to read it in just a minute. And I remember reading that, and it said, and Paul said, I was, I'm a master builder. And I looked it up, and it was, it, was, it was almost exactly the same thing as an architect, except back then, the architect who had the plans also was the, was the head foreman of the, of the job, right? So it was just a little bit different, but he was more hands-on. But he, he, he took the plans, and he, he worked by the plans to build what the plan said needed to be built. And he made sure it was built exactly to the plan, right? And as I was reading that, I heard the Lord. I had a, an epiphany, and I just literally started weeping, weeping, because I realized that God had always called me to be an architect, and I had always been an architect, just not the way I thought it was going to work out. It turns out that's what I'm good at. I'm good at building things, right? I like systems. I like putting together, but the one thing that I like to do when I'm building in kingdom stuff is it must be built biblically because that's the plan, right? So Again, this is something that I went, at, went after with, with a, a vengeance. And I'm like, okay, i got to understand a little bit about me and the calling that God has on me. So I opened a ton of doors and started going down those roads. And then the Lord, of course, opened doors for me to walk into new things, to see other people who were building things biblically. And again, long story, but I, I won't tell that. But, but it challenged me and it changed the way I thought. And the more I, I would go back to Scripture and build whatever God had called me to build scripturally, build it biblically, it began to work. That was the thing. Whether it was building my marriage according to the pattern, whether it was building the church according to the pattern, grace gifts, like we talk about a lot of times about that, the giftings and the callings of the Lord, the passions that you have, helping you discover that as a believer, discipleship, the, the things of the Spirit. If we do those things according to the way God has designed them, then we get the intention that God had. For, for us to get. And so I was, coming, I, I was reading about some of this, and I came across an article about building buildings in, in Africa, of all places, especially in Eastern Africa. And the article was entitled, Five Reasons Buildings Fall. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, that's pretty interesting. One of the first ones is the foundations are too weak. It turns out that foundations can cost, in some buildings, I didn't know this, but foundations can cost half, at, I mean, at least half of the entire building project will go to the foundation of a building. I'm like that if you tell me that, that's crazy, right? But there's a reason for it because if the foundation isn't built, well, obviously, everything that's built on top of it becomes subject to decay and eventually destruction. Materials this is the second thing that happens that causes buildings to fall. Materials aren't strong enough to withhold the, lo- the load. So what happens is they build with counterfeit materials or they use the wrong materials in the right place or the right materials in the wrong place. Either one ends up ch- creating some challenges. Um, oftentimes contractors knowingly use incorrect materials because it costs money to buy the proper materials, right? An- another one is workers make mistakes, incompetence. And also it comes back to oftentimes contractors will pay uh, less skilled labor, so maybe they're trying to mix concrete and they don't mix the concrete effectively, and it looks solid, but it's not solid. And over time, rain and you know, the water is going to cause it to, to be destroyed. Another reason is that the load is heavier than expected. Uh, there's a story of a, a, it's actually a church, unfortunately, that built a building in, I think it was in Nairobi, and, and the building existed, and they built like three or four more floors on top of it, without ever going back to the plans to see whether it would load, and of course, it, it collapsed, and something like 125 people died in the process. So not only is it, is it would the building fall down, oftentimes, when the building falls down that people are a part of, it will kill them, hurt them, or kill them, destroy people, Right? So another reason that they fall is it's, they're not tested as they go. Things aren't tested. It's very fascinating about deacons. The Bible says that let deacons first be tested. And I'm like, is there like an SAT course for a de- de- deacon? Turns out there is, actually. <laughs> right? um, t- Timothy and Titus is this part of it, right? And the other part of it is let them deek. Like what, when, we, when we choose deacons, one of the things that we do is we, we choose by revelation, God, hopefully God's speaking to us about a person who should be in that role, and secondly, um, by recognition. In other words, people come and go, hey, they're de- deacon's not a word, by the way. I totally made that up, but it should be a word. But you see them doing what deacons do, right? And so people come and go, you know, they ought to be deacons. I'm like, well, of course. So when we put people on as deacons, what we're doing, and, and same thing applies to elders, but, but they've already been doing it. That's the whole reason why we know, Right? We don't do it because of popularity, because they have influence in the city, or because they have money, right? Which, again, it turns out, after all these reasons, you put all these reasons reasons together, the real reason, the only reason why buildings collapse is, is because it costs too much to do it right. So think about that for a second. And that's exactly what happens in the church. That happens in families, right? It costs too much to build a good marriage. It costs too much to build good parenting. I'm busy. I got things to do. I'm selfish. Uh, you know, I want to use the wrong materials. I want to. I want to parent outside of the way God designed parenting. I want to. You know, old school for us was they used Doctor Spock, and I don't mean the you know the, the alien guy. I mean he was a psychologist. Turns out didn't he have any kids, and later on wrote a book said, "My bad, I was totally wrong." Like after you destroyed a generation, thanks for that, Doctor Spock. Right. So, but that's part of it is if we do it wrong then we, we get the results of, of wrong building. It just, it just tears it down. So Jesus said this in, in Luke 14, 28 about building. He said, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. So, so Jesus is talking about a lot of things. One is about you choosing him. In other words, if you're going to choo- choose Jesus, don't come into this blindly. He asks everything of you, right? If you want to commit your life to Christ, you can't commit halfway, right? You, you, you can't do that. That's not how it works. That's not a commitment. It's not. That's why marriage is so powerful. You stand up in front of God and everybody and you say, I will, when you don't know what the next 30 or 40 years holds, right? That's, that's tough, right? Like, wouldn't it be neat if you could go backwards? Remember like Benjamin Button, you could go backwards. You could start when you're old and you've, you know, had tons of experience and then work your marriage. But you know what the whole part of the point of that is? God's expectation is that he would be involved in your marriage in the sense that that you come in together saying, you know what, we can't do this in our own strength, but if we trust the Lord together, we're going to do this amazingly well, right? And that's what happens. I mean, it's not like we don't miss it, but my point is if we build it the way God designed for us to build it, one, it's going to cost us more. It costs more to build biblically, whether it's in a church or whether it's in a marriage or whatever it might be. 1 Corinthians, Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. Listen, he's talking about building the church. He said, You are God's field, you are God's building. So you are something. There's you're supposed to hold something, right? He talks, God, uh, scripture talks about the glory of God being inside of you through Christ and the glory and the multifaceted picture of, of, of God in the church. Right? That, that when people see the church, they're supposed to be seeing a picture of God. Turns out in your marriage, that marriage is just for here, it's not in heaven. And when people see your marriage, what they're supposed to see is Jesus. Right? Supposed to teach us about Jesus, what Scripture says. It goes on, verse 10, it says, According to the grace of God which was given to me. So he's doing it not in his own strength, but through grace. As a wise master builder, this is the one that wrecked me. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Listen, and this is helpful. We always say Jesus lays the foundation. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. If you're building your marriage, you lay the foundation. Or you don't. Or you build a faulty one. Right? Paul said, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Right? And this is what he said. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. It was a warning. Be careful how you build in the church. Right? We're going through this small group, we're talking about the teachings on righteousness. And one of the things Greg does in the first lesson, first video, is he takes great pains to talk about the gospel that Paul preached, the gospel of grace that Paul preached was settled in, in not just with Paul and his team, but he went back to the Jerusalem council and he made sure that what he was preaching, the gospel he was preaching, was the gospel that they understood from the people who had walked with Jesus themselves. And they did say that we, we preach the same gospel, we believe it, and he launched him out to the Gentiles, and that's the gospel of grace. But there are other gospels out there. People are trying to build the kingdom with a false gospel that's mixed with legalism and various other things, right? And if you do that, it looks like a building for a long time, but the more you build it and the more weight you put into it, what begins to happen? It begins to crumble, and it falls and often does tremendous damage, whether it's a marriage, whether it's parenting, right? whether it's a business that you're building and you didn't build it big, biblically, whatever that looks like. He says, but let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So here's the point. Jesus is the foundation. But you are the one that lays that foundation in your life, in the church, in your marriage, in your business, in your education, whatever aspect of your life you pursue. In relationships, the list goes on. Peter talked about it. He said in verse, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, Coming to him as living stone, talking about Jesus, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, Jesus being the stone. You also, he says, you also, listen, you also are living stones being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. He's saying you're the temple. I love it when people say, um, let's go to church. I'm like, how do you do that? Because you're the church. Do you go to you? I mean, that's weird, right? But, and this is the sanctuary. Uh, please don't call this room a sanctuary. One, it's, well, it's just weird. Nobody does that anymore, right? I understand why. It's, it's a It's symbolism. But the problem with that is words matter. And then we start talking about this room as a sanctuary. You forget that this room is not the sanctuary you are. There is nothing holy about this room. And one reason why that matters is this, this is just a building, right? physical building. It's just a room. It is a tool for the church. And at some point, if God decides to move the church into another building, some of us are going to have a hard time leaving this holy sanctuary because you remember all the encounters with the Lord you had here physically. And that, this is just the place. Right? You're the church. And oftentimes, God will leave a physical location and move to something else. You saw this constantly with the fire by night, you know, the, um, and, and the, what was it, the, thank you, cloud. Kept seeing a funnel, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not Kansas. But anyway, so that's what God does, and he moves. And his, his expectation is we would follow, and we'd follow after him hard. Jesus talked about building again in corner... He was the cornerstone. Matthew 7 talks about him being in the cornerstone. Everyone who hears these words... We've heard this. um, Does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. People who who hear his words and don't do them are like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the rains come. Not if. When the rains, when the storm, when it comes. And it will come. And it will come with a vengeance. If your house is built on the rock, it will stand. If it's not... Good luck, right? Not only will it fall, it's so fascinating. The Bible doesn't say it'll just fall down. That would have been bad enough. It will, it will fall and great will be the fall, right? Because it matters how we build. Foundations matter. There's specific patterns. I talked about this. Exodus 25, 9 says, is talking about Moses in the tabernacle. It says, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings, listen, exactly like the pattern I will show you. Comes out, puts the plan on the table, to all the leaders and said, "I want this tree to go here. This is landscape architecture. I want this tree to go here. I want this support to go here. We're going to have to tear this down and build this up. This is what we're going to have to do. Do it according to that plan. I'm going to be back. <laughs> I'm going to leave you there. You get it done. I'm going to be back, right? And so that's what the Bible's saying. I, I, there's an expectation that we build on the rock. We know Jesus is the rock. He's talked about earlier about Jesus being the foundation. But you and I, this is the important thing. You and I are the ones who lay the foundation. Jesus is the foundation." But we're the ones who put it, put it down. It's helpful to know that. Know in the ark. Genesis 6 says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. And then he gives the, he gives the dimensions. Turns out, by the way, these dimensions are the same dimensions of modern day uh, ships that haul that, uh, cargo. Cargo ships are made in the same dimensions. It's a really good ship, actually, it turns out. It's, all, it's almost perfect, <laughs> they've discovered, which is why they're still building big, big ships that way. It's fascinating. So God said, hey, if you build it like this, when the rain's coming, when the flood's coming, everything's happening, when the enemy, you know, when the fall is taking its toll, you won't suffer for it because I'm, I've given you the plan and the way to not have to deal with these aspects of the fall. Not, the fall does not affect you the same way as it affects someone who doesn't know Jesus, right? Whose house is not built on the rock. And you know this is true because the Bible talks about grief. It says those who, who, who've had loved ones pass away in Christ, we don't grieve like the world. We still grieve, but we don't grieve like the world. Why? Because we're going to see them again, right? Whereas someone who, who loses somebody, I, I can't imagine the hopelessness that they must feel when that happens. I've lost my mom, and I remember thinking she's like on a, uh, you know, a safari. with. I can't get to her. I can't call her. You know, I, 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 I can't talk to her, but she's the thing she's seeing, she's, she can't wait to tell me. She can't wait for me to be there. So anyway, it's just something to, to keep in mind in how we build. How we build families, relationships, parenting. The foundation always begins with Jesus. We know that. I just mentioned before that he's the cornerstone. And so when the cornerstone was laid in the temple, and all the big buildings in that day were built from a cornerstone. A cornerstone was perfect. They spent an inordinate amount of time making sure the cornerstone was perfect. It was a big, huge stone, and it went in a corner. They picked a corner and built from that corner everything in the building. And it had to be perfect. So it, and the reason why is because if it wasn't perfect, every imperfection, when, when they built off of the cornerstone, every imperfection would be amplified the further away they got from the cornerstone. See the implications of how valuable it is to build to you personally. It's why we don't have priests anymore. You are a priest before the Lord, right? The role of the pastor is not the role of a priest. The role of a pastor, some of these leaders we're going to talk about this next week, is equipping you for the work of your ministry. You have something to do. God's designed you and built you and and made you in a beautiful, perfect way. He loves the way he made you, right? There may be some imperfections that you have some adjusting to do. That's okay, and the and the better you allow that that work to be done, the when you build, the better you're going to build, and the less chance of it's going to fall down. Second thing about the cornerstone, well, all measurements were taken from the cornerstone. In other words, when you're building a house, you don't you don't start from the corner, get to the door frame, and then you're going to build a window. You measure from the door frame. No, always measured all the way back to the cornerstone. Why? Because if you did that, no imperfections. Your measurements were always right, and they were always measured from the perfect thing, not the thing that might be flawed. Something to think about. And also, it could never be removed. Some of the buildings um, in, in ancient uh, uh, Israel and in, in Corinth, different places like that where they have you know, some of the structures, the cornerstone's still there. And the buildings, often the buildings that would fall down the first were the ones who had the cornerstone removed. Because, again, it was a big, beautiful, perfect rock. And if, if a building wasn't being used, a lot of times they would pull that, right, and, and put it somewhere else. But if, if a cornerstone was removed, the building often would fall down. It was built that perfectly. So something to keep in mind. Colossians 1.18 says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that all and in all things, he may have pre- preeminence. So, how do you build? You know, the, the, one of the essentials of our church is understanding biblical church government because it matters. We don't talk about it all the time. But it's always on my mind, and we, we want to build that way. We go back and we take a fresh look. One of the things we're rebuilding in the next couple of years is rebuilding what it means to be missional in the church because that's not something that we see happening the way it ought to, right? So it, it, we don't have to beat each other up. Grace, we don't, there's no you know, flag in your back. You don't have to do that. You just say, okay, Lord, teach me how to build properly. And that may mean come back and tear some things down before you build other things back up. But if Jesus is the is the is the primacy, if he's the first, if he's the foundation, if he's the head of the church, then when you build leadership in a church, when you build government in church, then it ought to be that he appoints them. And it turns out that that's exactly how it's supposed to work. But that's not exactly how it always works. There are people who are self-appointed. There are people who put in through popular vote. There are lots of reasons why people are in positions of leadership and governance that maybe they shouldn't be. So Acts 20 is one of the best scriptures on this. It says, this is speaking to elders, right? We're going to get into the, the, the nuts and bolts of it next week. But speaking to elders, this is just overview. He says, keep watch over yourselves. In other words, you pay attention to your own life, buddy, because if, 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 the, if you're wrong, right, then you're going to build from who you are. You reproduce who you are, not what you think or what you want it to be, right? So who you are is what you're going to reproduce. And so watch yourselves, Pay attention to what's going on in your own life. And then he says, and watch over the flock, or watch the flock, the, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, you know, as Americans, we're, we're not, we don't like people being in charge of us. Right? <laughs> it's just, we, I mean, we started our country in rebellion. Now, don't get me wrong, the king was a knothead, and he needed rebelled against, right? Which is why we did it. But there's something about America that, that is this independent spirit that can also be unbiblical. And can, if we're not careful, it keeps us from submitting to the king because we don't know how we're supposed... We, we haven't had a country that had a king, so we don't understand how that works sometimes, so we have to learn it as Americans in a, in a different biblical culture. We have to see it biblically before we can actually do it. And so the Bible says the Holy, Holy Spirit has made people... This is what he says. He's made people overseers over you if you're going to be part of a church. Now, again, if it's done wrong, that's a very frightening word, overseer. Right? We say it this way, it's we we want to look out for you. We want to watch out for you, not watch you, right? Because <laughs> that's the difference. Accountability, this is what overseeing is about, is accountability. And the Bible, what the Bible's saying is God is putting people in a place of oversight over you. If you notice, that also happens in parenting, right? I always love it when kids tell their parents, you know, if you don't understand, it's like, you're right. You should totally move out and get your own apartment because you're eight, right? I'm just like, <laughs> right? But in their head, there's like, I, I could do it. I could totally do it, right? No, you can't. You can't. <laughs> so there's, a, there's a, uh, a quote from John Stott. This is what he says, really fascinating. He says, the New Testament never contemplates the grotesque situation in which the church commissions and authorizes people to exercise a ministry for which they both lack the divine call and the divine equipment. Let me tell you what, what happened, because I, I did the same thing, right, when I, when I first started in this. We begin to equate government, right, church government, with all kinds of other government. So political government, we, we think about it in in uh, uh, business, right? Corporate government, and if we're not, if we know nonprofit, we think about nonprofit government, right? And we tend to build our churches in one of those veins. So uh, I'm going to get to that in a second, but just quickly, there are three basic types of, of church government you're going to hear about. One's episcopal, and that just means it functions with a single leader. I mean, the Catholic Church, there's a pope, right? And supposedly the Pope is all the way from Peter to the Pope we have now as the Catholic Church. And, and he oversees everything. He has to say. Um, the second one is Presbyterian. That's where eldership, there's a plurality of elders in, in the church. That's the one that we lean into. There's aspects of the rest of these other parts of government that are, are there as well. But this primary the way God talks about it. And again, I'm going to get into this next week. But that means a body of elders do this. Now, in a denomination, what happens is there's a church body of elders there's a presbytery over them or another group of elders that oversee that region or that city, and then it moves up all the way to the top, and then there's a general assembly. You've heard this in a lot of denominations, that's what they call it. And so that becomes the eldership over the over the church. And I won't comment on this, but the congregational is the last one, that's where the congregation makes the decision. That's really dumb, by the way. And it feels like I'm talking down to you, but I'm just gonna give you an example. In most congregations, there's some amazing, incredible, beautiful. Mature disciples in those congregations, right? And they know what to do. They know how to do it. And there's also some insecure, immature, broken, busted people, right? And if you give broken, immature, but guess what they're going to do with everything they touch? So if they gain enough influence in a church, the, the mature people will leave and give it to them. And now you have Lord of the Flies. That's what you have. And that's sad, but that's where a lot of churches have ended up. You've got the most immature people in the highest places of leadership. And even if they do get a pastor who comes in and tries to, they won't let him. And so he ends up either you know, giving up or bailing and going somewhere else. So we're going to get into that, some of that stuff. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter, in some ways it doesn't matter what, you, what, what kind of government you subscribe to. Now, don't get me wrong. There's the, I believe there's a biblical way to do it. And we're going to talk about that. But if you submit yourself to Christ as a leader, If you as a congregation, if we as a congregation submit ourselves to Christ, the chances are He's going to lead us. To the degree that we all submit ourselves to Christ is the degree that He's going to lead us. If any group of people in the church decide to not go that direction, it creates major problems. And so part of what we do in church leadership, what we've tried to establish here at DCF, is we build a culture of honor We build a culture of church government that comes from biblical foundations. We're going to talk about what what that's supposed to look like, what we believe it's supposed to look like. And then once that gets established, it's hard to uproot, which is the point, right? Somebody walks in and goes, well, it looks like you guys got it going on. You're all in charge. Yes, we are, right? (laughs) Why? Why is that important? Because the Bible says if if the righteous rule over you, there's peace, there's prosperity, there's joy. But if the unrighteous rule watch or uh, lead lead you, then woe to you and to your city, right? And the point is, is that someone's going to lead you. And that's the key. You're either going to lead yourself, so you're leading, or you're going to fall into submission to somebody else, and it's important. So I just want to finish with just three methodologies or approaches to church um, governance and church leadership. And again, we're going to get into the the nitty-gritty next week. But one of them is called the executive approach. The executive approach is typically what you see in corporate America. It's hierarchical. In other words, you have, you know, you have steps. There's a president, vice president, you know, and the list goes down. And people know their roles. And you, if you work for a company, you're there and you're committed to the company um, for the most part. But a lot of times you're only committed as long as they're paying you or as long as it, you know, it meets your needs. And that's fine because the company's whole job is to make a profit. So, so hear this. If you've never heard, if you're a young person and you're getting, just getting into the job world or if, you're, you know, if this is something you never thought about, this is really, really important to change your world. If you aren't making a profit for your company, why would they keep you? If the role that you play, if the job you're doing isn't benefiting the company and bringing it a profit, why in the world would they keep you? So if you want to make good money, it doesn't matter what you do, pick something, get serious about it, and, and make that company stupid money. Get so good at what you do, Grow your skill set. list goes on. Do all those things and, man, go after it. And what will happen is you'll get promoted. I mean, if it's not, you don't want to be a part of that company, right? You don't want a company who doesn't recognize that kind of value in a worker. But you find that, and what will happen is you'll rise to the top every single time. had a friend um, out in California, and he said when he would go out, he he was a pastor, but he would try to make some extra money. And he said he would go out to a, a, a contractor who's working on a house or whatever or a building, He'd walk up, find the, the head contractor, and he'd say, hey, listen, I need some work. And he said, um, I'll work for you free for the first two weeks, he said, and let you see what I do. And he said, if you don't like it, you don't have to pay me. And he said, if I don't like you, I don't have to work here anymore. And he said, we haven't even entered into a contract if you want to do that. And he said, and every single time, the guy would go, you'd be willing to work for me to two, two weeks just so I could see what kind of worker you are? He said, yeah. He said, you're hired. And every single time, he said, I would, I would say, thank you very much. And then I would say, what's the worst job on this job site? I want to do it. And they would find whatever that was, and he would go do it, and he would do it better than anybody else. And by the end of the summer, he was the guy leading the crews on the job site. And he knew that it was just a plan because he knew if he could bring value, they would promote him, they would release him. Now, again, it's, it, that's, it's not always perfect like that, so I get it. But executive power, they have leverage through um, paying you, right? It's about profit. And so they'll, they'll either take money away, um, cut your pay, or they'll just fire you all together. So all of the leverage is there, and that's what often churches use, is they, they use executive power where they, they lord things over you. In an executive world, you know, they're discovering that's, that's not the best way to do it, so you've got to care about people. But in all honesty, they'll care about people only as long as there's a profit involved. If the person gets super messed up, they're like, man, we, you know, I'll find a legal way to get rid of you because you're, you're creating problems and our company's losing money. But that's just the way it's made, executive approach. The second one is volunteerism. This is another way churches lead and, and, and they do government. Um, the first one's a top-down leadership. Volunteerism is kind of a bottom-up. Um, it's kind of like a congregational church. You know, volunteerism is everybody who volunteers. And thankfully, we've got a lot of people in our church who bring their strength. We love that. But it's modeled after nonprofits. And the, and the, the power mechanism they use is influence, right? And, and the, the aim, what they're pursuing is they're pursuing a cause. So a nonprofit is all about a cause. And so some people say, well, isn't a church about the cause of Christ? Yes, it is. But it's not designed the same way as this, right? It's not designed to work the same way. Because here's why. In a volunteer situation, the only leverage I have over you is your commitment to the cause and influence. And so what typically, if we're not careful, what we do is we pander to the people, right? Because we care about the cause. And so we'll put up with all kinds of crap, immaturity and insecurity and brokenness, because, you know, human resources are hard to come by for free, <laughs> right? So we're, we're very careful to just go, hey, you know... Whatever we need to do, how can we, you know. And again, there are aspects of that that are good. And they're also part of the church government. But the way that you see in Scripture is something called servant leadership. And it's an oxymoron when you think about it. How can you be a servant and a leader at the same time? And that's what we're going to talk about as we go into next week. But the way it works in leadership is to stand in front. The word elder, one of the ways the word elder translates is this, it was the people who stood in front. The elders stood, the Bible said, stood at the gate, the front of the city, and they would allow people to come in and bring their wares in to sell them. They would allow certain, you know, kinds of thinking. People would come in and say, hey, I have a message I want to share in the city. And they're like, well, what is it? And they would share it, and they're like, no, you're not bringing that message in this city. I'm sorry. You go somewhere else and, you know, and sell that. Or something, you know, they would look at their goods, and if their goods were no good, they would not allow them in the city to sell it. They'd have to sell it outside the city. It, it, government, one way of understanding government is it limits. Right? It limits certain things, but the other side of the, the government issue is it releases certain things. It gives permission to certain things, and so in servant leadership, the, the leaders stand in front. They go first. It's like the the classic you know, story of a combat officer. You know you always you always see in the movies, and it's you know, the reason why is because it's true that a lot of times sergeants led um, the combat crews uh, or the combat uh, groups in 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 Vietnam because the lieutenants often we coming right out of you know, leadership and this. they had all these ideas about leadership, but they weren't actually good leaders. Right? They were incompetent oftentimes and they would just go missing. It's terrible, but that's actually true. But, but that's what often happens. You have young, young men who come out, I did this, come out of Bible college or come out of seminary, try to lead a, a, a church and you have no idea what you're doing. And, if, and if, as a servant leader, you have to have some humility to know who God made you to be, to know your strengths, to know your weaknesses, and be honest about it. And then here's the beautiful picture. It's always in teams, so there's always someone able to give you perspective about who you actually are, not who you think you are. And that's what's going to change the world. Again, we have leaders who give themselves, just like Jesus, who submitted himself, who was the king of all the universe. And submitted himself into a fleshly body to come and feel and, and sense and taste and, and, and touch and understand the challenges that every single one of us came through and, let, and yet led a perfect life, right? And as a model, he's telling his disciples, he's washing their feet and Peter says, how dare you, Lord? Well, you can't do this. You're the, king, you're the Messiah, you're the king of the universe. Why? Don't do this. And he said, if you, if you don't let me wash your feet. So in other words, if you don't receive servant ministry and servant leadership to yourself, you can't be a part of this. So it's literally the gateway. It's literally the gateway. Jesus talks about being, you know, this, this narrow path. And church governments is just like that. Because Jesus is the one who appoints leaders. We said that. And if you don't do it that way, then what you do is you find another mechanism for leading a church for leading your family. I know families who are led through an executive model. (laughs) The kids basically work for them. The dad's the CEO. The mom, you know, she's not even the vice president, right? (laughs) I've seen this stuff. You have too. And we know how unhealthy it is. But how amazing is it to see a father who has a servant's heart who also still leads, right? Who can stand in front, who can go before, who can take on the enemies, who's strong enough to go bring it You you don't get to touch my family. you got to get through me to get to my family. That's the kind of servant leadership that the church deserves. It's who Jesus designed the church to have as leaders. People who would lay their lives down in the same way that he laid his life down for the bride. They would lay their life down for the bride. Let me leave you with this because this is probably one of the most important things about this. We'll talk about, again, a little more detail next week. But my friend Greg talks about the attendance of the bride. It's a message that if the church could hear it, the modern church could hear it, it, would change everything. It's just part of it's a revelation. Part of it's just, just you know, trial and error. But it talks about the servant leadership mindset in this this the way Jesus led. This beauty of leadership. And it uses Jewish custom around marriage, and again, I'll get into it next week. <clears throat> but it always comes back to this: when when a a, a man would and enge- be engaged to a woman in that time, they would set a dinner between the two families, and they would sit across from one another, and he would take a cup of wine in front of all the family, his family and hers, and extended families. There's a bunch of people there. And he would slide the cup across to her, and if, and if she would drink of his cup, that was, a sim- that was symbolism that, he would, that she would become his, his wife. Right? And then they were betrothed. So they were, weren't technically married. We call it like being engaged, but it was even stronger than what we see as engagement now a commitment. And then the Bible says, the way the Bible teaches is you see it, and, and I'll read it to you again. But the Bible, the way the Bible teaches it, is that that person then would say, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. Right? Does that sound familiar at all? In the scripture, what Jesus said when he left, he says, I'm going to go away and prepare. That's bridal language. He's speaking to us as a bride. He's saying, I've, I've got you. But here's what would happen. If, if, if he had any money, if he was wealthy, when that you know, engagement occurred, after the ceremony and after he told her, I'm going to go away and, and prepare a place, he would build a mansion for her or a castle. If he, was, if he was poor or he didn't have a lot of money, he would build a room onto his father's house and that would become their house until his father passed away and he received it as inheritance and then that was their house, right? But if he was wealthy, he, he would build a mansion. <laughs> and interesting how both of those things apply in Scripture. And then the Bible says, there's, I'm going to come. I don't know when I'm supposed to come back. My father's going to be prepare Because if I, if I think I'm prepared right now, but I'm ready to be made, And the father's going to go, you need to work on this and make sure it's ready. Because you've got to bring her home to something, right? And so, but at some point, he would come back for her. But in the meantime, he would, if he had any money, he would leave what were called attendants of the bride. If he was wealthy, he would leave the attendants of the bride that would prepare her, equip her, and get her ready to receive her groom." And them go and be together forever, right? So if he was wealthy, he would prepare attendance and leave attendance with them. If he was wise, he would make them eunuchs. Right? Because you don't want you don't want the attendance of the bride messing with the bride. Far too often what's happened in church world is people don't understand that role. They've picked another way of doing it. Whether ignorantly or not, it still happens. And often what it leads to is leaders in the church drawing the affection of the bride, and rather than pointing that affection to Jesus, they draw it to themselves. And they build their own life with affections that belong to another man. And so as leaders, whether that's a, a husband or a father, Leading in a home, whether it's a businessman, whether it's pick something. Whatever leadership role you play, there's going to be aspects, depending on what that looks like, of these other pieces, parts, of course. But at the end of the day, biblical leadership is servant leadership, but it's not weak. One phrase you'll hear, and I haven't used this in a long time, but one phrase, and we'll talk about this next week, it's this. As a leader, as an attendant of the bride, God has appointed me to be here to oversee. Holy Spirit's done this, right? So if you believe that, you, it's easy to come and say, yeah, let's go. You know, I trust that you're listening and hearing from the Lord because he's he's my master, right? He's, he's the groom, and, and you're the bride. And so my, my job is to help prepare you to get you ready for him. So I'm your servant, but he's my master. See how that works? And if if we get into congregational-led ministry, then... I'm your master. Or actually, you're my my master. If I get into executive, I'm your master. See how it works? And that's why they're both wrong. But in servant leadership, the role that we play is very, very careful. And I just want to say this. We have people here who love the bride. Karen and I, we lay our life down for the bride. We are are also the bride, right? And we love Jesus. We're part of the bride too. But in our role as leaders, we love you. We love you. It's not congregational, so you don't get your way all the time, right? But neither do I. It's not about me doing it my way. That's, again, executive leadership. It's nice, but it's not biblical. So what we do is we say, Lord, what are you saying? We just spent a weekend with these guys over here as elders, Talking about, Lord, what are you saying to us as we go into the end of the year and as we launch into this next year? What are you saying to us about COVID and what we're supposed to do? And, Lord, it feels like the church is scattered, but you haven't said it's scattered. So, Lord, what are you doing? How do we do it your way? What's your, what's your, and we, we pray and we seek the Lord and we, we go after this and we discuss it because what we're trying to do is find out the will of the master because how we lead you really, really matters to him and therefore it matters to us. And so we just want to tell you, we love you. And if we're, whether it's building church government or whether it's building your marriage or building your business or how you lead in any capacity, if you allow Jesus to lead you first, if you're submitted to him and you are in submission to ministering and blessing the people that you lead and recognize that you have been given as a gift to them, but you're not God's gift to them, if you know what I'm saying, right? You have to see yourself with humility and recognize that you can be strong, but you can never mistreat another man's bride, right? If I ever find out I'm away, some of you guys mistreat Karen, I'm going to come see you and probably have to get another job because I won't be pastoring after that, right? (laughs) And I hope any man, man in here would say the same thing. So this really, really matters. We don't want our building falling down. So build your marriage biblically, build your parenting, build your business, build your relationship biblically, and then join with us as leaders, to build this church biblically. Submit to what God has called us to do. Bring your strength in every way. Don't play the prima donna where people have to come and encourage you to do something that God has asked you to do already. Don't do that. Be willing to bring testimony. Be willing to bring praise and worship. And and It doesn't have to be perfect, and maybe it's not exactly your way. It often isn't for me either. But we can all come together and say, God, this is your thing, and if we believe he's doing it, then let's get behind it 100% and see what God might do. Amen? will not you stand with me? I apologize for going a little bit long. I had a lot of foundations to lay, and so I do apologize, especially if you guys are online. I know it's tough sometimes if you're looking at that little screen. But thank you guys for your patience, and again, as we go after these essentials, I, I, I hope and my prayer is that you would grab hold of some of these things and if you recognize that you're, maybe you're not seeing it the same way or you're missing it or there's some things that you're, you're not doing, would you, would you make every effort to go, I wanna, I want, this is a time for me to turn around. I want to change the way I do relationships, change the way I do my marriage, and on and on. Would you be willing to do that, especially as we move forward, and then pray over the next couple of weeks as we select new leaders for our church? Because it really, really matters. Amen? So we would love your input, love to hear from you. If you need prayer here in the building, just hang around, and we'll come and uh, pray for you here in just a couple of minutes. If you're online, uh, you can... uh, Go online. There's a place where you can click on a button that will send a, an email to us, or you can just go to prayer at com, and someone will get back with you, and we will pray with you and Love would love to do that. So just join me in prayer. Lord, we say thank you, Lord, that you do build a certain way, Lord, and it, and it can be known. You've revealed it in Scripture. God, you've given us wisdom. You've given us insight. But most importantly, Lord, you've given us the ability to hear your voice. And, Lord, you are so amazing because you can't wait to lay that plan down in front of us because part of what we're building, it it leads to the inheritance that you've given us. And Lord, we long for more of that and you long to give it to us. So we just say yes, Jesus, to biblical building, whether it's parenting, marriage, church government. Lord, we say yes and we agree with you. Let that be our amen as we move forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks and have a great week.